Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Paddle Power, your inside look into the world of paddle in Australia and around the world. Welcome everyone to the fifth episode of Paddle Powwow. I'm your host Matt Levy and as always I'm joined by co-host Matt Burrell. Today we're going to be talking about lots of things paddle. We've got some world paddle news for you, some local news. We're going to do a deep dive on rackets and balls, technology around them. And then we've got a big guest on the show today, with Aussie number one, Tim Brown, which both Maddie and I are looking forward to. So all in all, we've got a big show today. Before we get started, though, I should say hi to Maddie. How are you? Good, thanks, Maddie Levy. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Another cracker of a show installed. How's life in sunny Byron? It's good, actually, mate. It's winter. It's a lovely sunny day. I'm getting out in the paddle court two or three times a week right now. And you came down for a game maybe, what was that, four or five days ago now with your partner, Nige, number five in Australia I saw recently with the latest rankings in the 45 plus. So congrats on that, mate. And you're doing well out there and, and you're uh, climbing the charts fast. Not so much on your paddle court though. I think uh, my ranking's pretty low out there after after Wednesday. Anyway, let's not talk about that. You're top 15 to 20 in, in Byron Bay, buddy, right now. I'll take it. I'll just take a number anywhere. Let's kick off the show. Let's start as we always do. What's happening around the world, mate? Mate, a lot in the USA. Europe's obviously flying, as always, from strength to strength. Italy, France, the UK really pushing forward. Sweden stagnating, but they had a, a massive uplift through COVID. I've got a good friend over there at the moment, actually, and he's been he's been playing at all the clubs around various areas. A hell of a lot of 10-court-plus clubs over there, which is huge and sort of six of the 15 courts being used now um, in those clubs. So the sweet spot seems to be, no matter where you go, around eight to 10 courts is where you want to be at. If you get a little bit bigger than that, it doesn't. you don't get that sort of uh, homely feeling atmosphere. You get clubby atmosphere. You get, it feels like sort of more of a exhibition center rather than a, a you know, a, a clubhouse. So um, clubhouse feels. So I reckon that's the go going forward with, 10, 10 court sort of clubs as a max and six to 10 seems to be the sweet spot developing through Europe at the moment. On the USA front, the Pro Paddle League wrapped up. We'll be talking to Tim Brown, as you mentioned later on today, Tim Brown, the Aussie number one, who played for the LA Beats in that competition. And he'll give us a really good update on what's going on over there and the professionalism really building around that tournament and the growth of the tournament and how clubs are being built on the back of the tournament as well, which is super interesting from a business model perspective, um, which we'll discuss with Tim. Also in the USA, Paddle House, H-A-U-S, they've got four courts. They're a high-end club. They're full. Um, they announced a capital round, raising another $7 million US dollars to expand a couple more clubs over there. So the money's really following the USA right now in terms of them expanding out. They've also put up, I think it's a four-court club outdoor to trap and encourage people to play in the summer New York backdrop there, which is amazing. And the Reserve Paddle Club, which would be the, the, the pinnacle in terms of top-level paddle clubs. The Reserve Paddle Club comes out of 
Miami, guy called Wayne Boych, super wealthy, super talented sportsman himself. Um, he took a leg of the World Paddle Tour in Miami before. Now he opened his own club up and rolled Sea Base. We mentioned last episode, I think, in Miami. And he's now expanded to New York as well. So New York seems to have a couple of clubs opening up now, again at the higher end, and again at, in, on a members club sort of basis, which seems to be the go in these areas like New York, where it's very clubby sort of clicky feel for it there. Yeah, the USA is the big mover for me. And I suppose that's like all of us Australians, we we follow the US and maybe sometimes the growth in Europe's hard to grasp, but throughout the US, it just seems to be happening so quickly. And, and yeah, Paddle House, that's the one in Brooklyn, right? That's, um, you know, that's very, yeah, very cool, cool place. And the fact that you know, they're obviously justifying rent for eight courts in Brooklyn. So you can imagine what what that's uh, costing them a fortune. So things must be working well. A little closer to home, New Zealand is soon to have their first paddle court. Have you heard much about that? Apparently one of the uh, groups in Australia, a Blue Ribbon Group in Australia and the UK uh, are also expanding into uh, Kiwi Lamb, which is amazing. I'm in touch with the team over there. They're, they're doing a great job from a federation perspective, building out the sport, really setting up the framework to allow for the expansion to happen in a really well-controlled and sensible, commercially sensible fashion. That's exciting news. And I think there'll be three or four clubs open there in the next 12 months, which is which is a huge leap from zero to that in 12 months i don't i don't know who you're talking about there matt but um but thank you peewee paddle though are going to be the first and they've got one court up and running and i believe it's in construction as we speak i have had some conversations with the uh, new zealand tennis and i must say they are very keen to get paddle over there and and very cohesive working together with paddle operators to try and work within clubs venues you name it so i think that rollout could happen pretty quickly. So, you know, good good to hear. Coming closer to home, I think Brisbane are really probably quite close to having their first club too, right? There's three or four locations which are really have really been developing and we'll we'll keep them quiet for now. But if you're a tennis player or you're a, you go to the gym a couple of times a week around the Brisbane area or even further north, uh, soon you'll have a couple of clubs to to choose from, I'd imagine. I'd I'd say in the next 12 months, there'll be two clubs, maybe three open in Brisbane, which is fantastic news. I know a lot of players come down from Brisbane now to play in the Gold Coast, probably 20 or 30 players. So they'll have a, they'll have a closer club to play at from home and have a bit of variety now and choice. And um, they'll, I know they're working closely with Ross Taylor's Palo Gold Coast there at KDV to, uh, to create a great environment between those two or three clubs there. And as we always say, a rising tide floats all boats. So the Federation doesn't see that as competition for each other. There's going to end up being a couple of clubs at least in almost every city in Australia over time. So it's a matter of who wants to go first and take that initial risk, but they then get the reward obviously as well by having uh, the first players there plugging in as their members there and getting that getting that loyalty. Totally. Simon and I, uh, Simon Tegnestrand at Nordic Paddle, have now got the luxury of being able to start doing some collaborative work where we can have some home and away matches, um, you know, which which is going to be a good thing. So, yeah, I agree totally with what you're saying there. Uh, what's happening over in Bali? Got uh, got a bit happening over there too. Very different model, not so much a club model, more of a, what would you call it, a day club model almost. Yeah. We talk about peacocking around pools. Uh, we talk about a great social central area with a cafe style feel rolling out protein shakes rolling out 
a bit of an organic wine in the afternoon, that sort of feel. So that's what Bali's going for. Obviously, it's hot over there, so quite a few shirts are off during the day for the gentlemen. It's real, a real vibe. I'll be over there with the family, actually, next week, but I'll be doing some research, obviously, as well. Island Paddle has opened up in Uluwatu. They're opening another club uh, in Changu. Obviously, Jungle Paddle's already in Changu, um, and they're opening up. They've opened up, sorry, a second club around the corner there, and there's probably five of the clubs on the drawing board now, just going through various stages of planning. The planning process in Bali or Indonesia is a lot quicker than Australia. It, it, what would take three months over there would take a year and a half here. So that's what's going on. Clubs can really bounce into action very, very fast there. And quite a few hotels, Club Med, for example, have paddle courts now as well. So there's five or six hotels now are rolling paddle into the hotels to keep the customers happy there because it's so many Europeans come across through Bali that already know and South Americans already know about paddle now. So it's becoming sort of a right that you expect to be at a uh, at a, at a good resort now. Um, and Bali seems to be an absolute central point for that. Totally. I, I have to tip my hat to you, um, you know, with all this tireless research that you uh, seem to be doing in Bali. Like, it's it's a really tough job and, you know, your dedication to paddle and, um, you know, Australia as a whole going and going to these luxury destinations. Uh, we all appreciate it very much, mate. Thanks, Maddie. I'll just do what I can for the sport. <laughs> All right. What uh, closer to home? We've got some tournaments coming up. Everyone from the southern states is looking forward to going to the Gold Coast. Forget the paddle. We want some sunshine. But um, it's coming up at July twenty-one. Am I right? Yep, July twenty-one to twenty-three. We start Friday night in the Gold Coast. Ross Taylor again. Shout out to Roscoe. Puts a cracker of an event on. So he gets a social version of mixed doubles going on Friday night with the bar fully open, the barbecue going and the music, the music blaring, which is ultra fun. He's got the first junior event going. So we've sort of not an experiment. It's the first, and we did this originally with the seniors previously. It's our way of testing the market before we go into the official tour. So the junior, the junior event will take place under 18s uh, on Friday night as well. So a real festival atmosphere. Then we roll into the, uh, the normal Oz Paddle Tour event on Saturday and Sunday there. So, yeah, that should, be, that should be a lot of fun. And as you said, everyone looks forward to that because it's it's sunshine versus uh, cold and rainy weather elsewhere, potentially. Melbourne winter. Um, how many how many juniors? I mean, I know you don't know yet, but how many juniors are you expecting? Expecting around 12 to 16 juniors playing. So we'll wind up with uh, six to eight teams, let's say, uh, which would be great. Again, in the we always mirror the who are here against what the uh, format is for the World Championships. So when the Junior World Championships, there's under-14s, under-16s and under-18s. Um, we'll do a general under-18s first here and then we'll, as it gets more popular, roll it out into the 14s and 16s. Yeah, it should be a great kickoff. And like all these tour events, we start off super small, test it out and uh, figure it out and then then build it. Yeah, great. I mean, look, we're probably expecting mostly locals, I'd say, but maybe we do a shout out to the listeners right now that anyone who's going to the Gold Coast, you know, mums and dads just for themselves and, and have got children who play a bit of tennis or squash or even just want to have a go, maybe bring the kids along and, and get them involved. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a good chance early on in the piece, at least, that if you get into Padel early enough, 
you might find yourself in the Aussie team, which is which is amazing as a junior to play for your country. In fact, it's amazing in any format to play for your country. It's a it's sort of once in a lifetime experience to play for the green and gold. And you and and there's, there's that's sort of the opening we've got now from a junior perspective. So it's a blank canvas, and anyone who plays a bit of tennis, as you said, or comes across from another sport that can dedicate a bit of time and learning curve to it, we'll, we'll get the rewards that way potentially. Totally. All right. Off the cuff, haven't asked this. What's the what's the name for the juniors that springs to mind? Well, the baby Crocs obviously are out there, baby but Crocs. the baby's probably not 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 great. It's the junior Crocs. So we've talked about alligators before, but we haven't got alligators in Australia. So we're looking for a good name. Have you got something in store for that? Tassie Devils. Can't be Tassie. Uh, don't worry, we'll, we'll workshop. Yeah, we'll, we'll go to the marketing department on that. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, we've got another seniors event coming up in indoor paddle soon enough. When When is that? It's uh, August 25 to 27 for the second leg of the seniors tour. Again, men, 35 plus and 45 plus, two divisions. You mm-hmm. can play in the 35 plus if you are 45 plus, so you can play down in age again. So I can play in 45 plus and 35 plus as you can, being a 50-year-old man. Um, and on the uh, female front, we go 35 plus. And last event we had around 65, 64, sorry, um, participants in total, which was a great kickoff. Now we'll um, look forward to uh, building that again, you know, aiming to try and get around 100 in that, and, and which will be half what we're getting now for the main Aussie Paddle Tour event, which is fantastic growth. It's a great turnout, isn't it? Unbelievable. The heart of all these clubs really are 35-plus-year-old people. So um, they have higher disposable incomes. They're more willing to travel and uh, have some fun. And again, we don't make these tournaments fully elite only. We make them more participation-based to get things going. Of course, there are some elite-level players out there like yourself, Maddie, who really take it seriously. But generally, um, it's for everyone. So if you're an average player, a C-level player, a B-level player, it doesn't matter. We cater for all. That's where it's a little bit different from the tennis tournaments in terms of elite level only. We really open up the participation barriers there and allow sort of everyone in. And um, for example, you get three points for participating in the tournament in itself. So you'll make the rankings list um, as a player and that encourages you to play more tournaments and um, and get to the other clubs and uh, helps grow the sport. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just part of, you know, the community. I, I liken these paddle tournaments to you know, these really great old country tennis tournaments that, you know, we used to go to and rankings and, and being serious wasn't the main thing. It was about getting getting amongst it with friends and people that you probably know through the tennis community. Same thing's happening with paddle. You know, you get to know people from from all over Australia just by attending these tournaments. And and I've had a lot of fun so far. And, yeah, I'll certainly be up there uh, playing with me mate Nige uh, at Indoor Paddle. Nigel War has asked me to uh, let you know publicly, and he said, <laughs> "Stop short of humiliation, please." But he did ask me to let you know publicly, and this is probably the best format for it with our thousands of listeners here to let you know you need to get into training mode one hundred percent because he's skyrocketing right now. He's at training at KDV Sport regularly. He needs to drag you along with him up that chain. I'd argue if I could, but I can't. So okay, fine. We had a couple of requests on doing a deep dive on rackets and balls and the technology of paddle. So I did try and get an expert on the show with short notice, didn't quite work. So instead, 
you and I are going to have to fumble our way through here. But I, I do know a little bit because I've got some rackets manufactured back in the one paddle days and some balls. So kind of did that research. And I'm sure over the journey, um, you know, with all your various sponsorships, you'd know a lot about rackets and balls and whatnot, right? We'll try and keep it basic. I can run through the rackets if you like, and you can have a shot at the balls part of it. But on the rackets front, there's three main shapes of rackets, the diamond racket, the teardrop racket, and the round racket. All have different advantages. Depends where you are on the paddle journey. It's sort of a bit like tennis in one respect. The strings determine how fast the ball bounces off the racket in terms of power versus control. In the racket world, the foam does that. The foam inside, the carbon fiber on the outside is normally sort of hard, soft or super soft. So, And that correlates directly with the power versus control. For example, I use a Starvi racket. It's super soft, which means the control is good. It lacks power. A lot of ex-tennis players already have control. They're very well controlled with the rackets already, so they know what they're doing on the court, and they lack a bit of power potential, so you want to bang the ball out. Normally, the, we have the ad side or the juice side players as well, so one's taking the smashes and, and needs a bit more power to, to kick that ball out. And the other normally has a bit more control on the juice side. So there's two sides to it and there's different rackets, but basically it comes down to a softer, a hard racket being power versus control. Soft is more control and, and hard is more power. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that I looked up because it frustrated me for a long time is, you know, different rackets are 3K, 6K, 12K, 18K. And so the K rating is actually a thousand. And if you've got a 3K racket, you've got 3000 strands of carbon fiber in, in in what your racket's made up of, so 18K, et cetera. And the higher, the higher the K rating, the more power you've got and the less control. So the less forgiving that racket is. So that's not a bad little rule of thumb. If you're purchasing a racket and you know that you're looking for control, you know, you might go lower in the K rating. And if you're looking for more power, you go, you go higher in that rating. That makes perfect sense. What's your chosen weapon on the court? I, I have, as you know, I'm a Knox man. Um, I've got the Augustine Tapia 18K. And if I had my time again, because I thought, oh, I'm going for the most expensive and showy racket here. Um, and if I had my time again, I might go down to maybe a 12K or something like that now knowing about the power versus control ratio. It does it does feel pretty hard off the hand, but but look, I love it. So yeah. What about yourself? You've got the Stavia, and you said you've got a soft racket for, for control. Yeah, I've got the yellow Triton soft. I've had a hard racket before. It's great. You feel like a bit of a hero pinging the balls off everywhere. But when you're trying to execute a drop shot or place that volley calmly in the corner, you wish you didn't have the power. You know, it it, it, it smacks off the racket a bit faster, the higher power, powered rackets, and it uh, you lose that control. So they tend to fly a bit off the racket. It boils down to that. So I, I prefer a bit of extra control. I prefer that than uh, have, having the higher power. But you can't have it both ways is a problem. A few rackets are trying also to say they're high power, high control. But at the end of the day, it's, it's sort of one or the other. Or you can sort of meet in the middle and have limited control and limited power or the best of both worlds potentially in the middle there. But you lose a bit on either side. You can't have it both ways. All right, let's move on to balls. So this is something that was a challenge for me during, you know, the the transition period of moving from tennis to paddle and, and not really understanding the balls and we didn't have courts or anything like that. And it was so frustrating because to the eye, the balls looked exactly the same. They almost bounced the same. And I'm like, what's the difference? But but the reality is a paddle ball is actually 8% smaller than a, than a tennis ball. And then 
everyone kind of knows this. They're not as hard, but they're really close. So this is this is the rating. A, a paddle ball is 11 PSI and a tennis ball is 14 PSI. So there's only three, three PSI difference within it. But of course, that makes the ball move a bit slower through the air and doesn't bounce quite as high. What I didn't realize, and you might know this, there are actually different grades of paddle balls for different levels of play. Did you know that? There sure are. I mean, in tournaments, we tend to use the bouncier balls, which allow the balls to go out more. So a little bit higher PSI, exactly what you're saying before. And that may seem like a small amount, 11 PSI versus 14. It, we normally say it's about 20% different. So people, I used to, when I first started playing in France, would get the tennis coach and grab his old balls which have been decompressed accidentally over time by about 20%. They form perfect paddle balls. So a good little hack is having sort of old tennis balls, but they're not, they're a bit furry and and, and weird to play with and don't bounce as well because they're they're a bit disfigured, but that's what we used to do. But yeah, for the tournaments, if you want the ball kicking out a lot and getting all that sort of play, like on the World Paddle Tour or some of the other main events, you'll be normally looking for a, a high PSI ball. And that's sort of the pro tour ball or, so two or three different versions of balls now within all the manufacturers of balls, uh, depending on what you're looking for there. Yep. Oh, well, there you go. So there's there's a question answered about rackets and balls. What uh, What's the difference between them and what you should go for as a player? As we mentioned earlier in the show, we've got a big guest on today. We have Australia's reigning number one paddle player. He's taken the pro paddle tour in the US by storm recently. It's Tim Brown. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me here. It's good to be on. Our pleasure. And uh, for all the listeners, today's story is going to be big in a couple of reasons. Later in the interview, Tim's got some really big news for us. But um, I guess we'll start with what everyone wants to hear is is how's life on the Pro Paddle Tour being and how, how's, how's the US? Um, US is great. Uh, lots of fun as expected. Um, the Pro Paddle League, it was a great success. It was great to train and play with ex-world number ones and that sort of thing. We had Seba Narone in, in our uh, Pro Paddle League team with the LA Beat. I didn't get to play a match uh, in the league, uh, but I knew going in that there, that was a, there was a high chance of that. I was happy to just be on the bench as a backup for Seba Narone and, um, and being able to train with him uh, for those five weeks was a really fantastic experience as as you'd expect and i learned a hell of a lot from that playing with him playing against him seeing how he trains just the little the little small differences between that top level where australia is at right now um, was beautiful to learn 100 percent um look one of our questions later in the interview is what's the level like the fact that you didn't get a game our best player that probably speaks volumes to to what the level was like can you can you talk about sort of yeah what the differences are between where we are here in Oz and and sort of what you witnessed yourself? Yeah, so the Pro Paddle League had a rule that you, that uh, you can only play one international player per fixture. That, that that way that their North American players get to play with an international player. So it's really it's really a clever structure for the for the for America. Um, so North America included Mexico the USA and Canada. Um, and if we're talking about the level, I would say that Canada would be uh, below Australia. Australia would be very, very similar to the top players in Australia would be very similar to the top players in the US. So we, we would have a fantastic little match against them if we could tee up that at some point, uh, Matty. But then Mexico is a level above. 
So I think that's why Cancun made the final because uh, they had they had one of the top Mexican players playing alongside a top player from Uruguay, actually, who plays in A1 Paddle. That was sort of where the level was at. Tim, in terms of the teams over there, I know it's a franchise system that's growing. It's a US-based sports system. So cities apply for teams like they would in the NFL and other uh, sports over there. And I hear there's a huge growth frame coming with other teams, not only paying more money to own that franchise, and there's a who's who of uh, team owners behind the scenes who are as well, very wealthy and very fun entertainment people behind the scenes and, and celebrity sports stars as well. But where's the team? Where do the teams end up next year? Teams this year, teams next year, and how big do you think it gets in that regard? So everything is just being brainstormed right now. So they, I, I did hear a lot of ideas that were going around, um, but nothing's confirmed yet. So just need to make that clear. But the rumors are that they're looking at approximately 16 teams so next year. And that will be, they'll do it uh, similar to how they do the basketball with a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference. I think what they might do is they might just cluster all the Western Conference matches into maybe a, a, a six-week period or something. And then do a bit of promo, build a bit of hype, and then do all the Eastern Conference matches, um, and then a few months, off, a couple months off again, and then they'll um, drum up the the finals uh, between the two conferences. So that that'll be a really cool system. And they're also thinking about next year, rather than it all being at one place, every team is going to have their home courts with a with a big center court. Um, and training courts and you play at home and you play away against everyone from your conference and then yeah then there'll be finals against the other conference once it's all said and done so that that's really exciting and that's a big big step up it's going to cost a lot more money obviously for next year so it's very exciting to see where it where it's heading tim one of the key development items behind the scenes for the u.s paddle federation was to to grow paddle in the u.s obviously and Part of that process is these franchise team owners have an obligation to build out a center as their home, I think. So you wind up with 16 new, let's call it state-of-the-art or higher-end paddle facilities, which is amazing for the growth as well as part of it. And then that feeds back into growing paddle um, in each of those cities. And, and that's you get a circular sort of motion going forward and up. And that, that's part of the brain work behind the scenes, I think, for this tour, beyond just a tour itself, isn't it? I mean, how exciting is that? It's like it, people will come to, you know, if we had that in Australia. People would come to Sydney and they'd be going, oh, I want to go check out the, the, the Sydney home ground, you know, home paddle courts, you know, uh, that, that would be really cool. So, yeah, when they do that, that'll be amazing. And um, apparently I heard that they signed... They've signed a new, so Orlando is going to be part of it next season, next year. And I think New York as well. And some of these teams are bought in for a million dollars. I think the teams that got in early did very well. Didn't have to pay much or, or anything at all to get it off the ground. But they've got um, a team buying in to be part of it next year for a million dollars. That's the going rate now. So they should raise quite a bit of money to run a very successful comp next year. And that goes back into prize money, Tim, as well, do you think? And obviously it costs a lot to run the event. Um, and you got we got CBS for the finals there, which is a one of the big four or five monsters in the US in terms of coverage and distribution of, of the product of Pata, which is amazing. So it's really getting more and more um, eyeballs on it out there, which is the idea. And the US would be the best sport marketeers on the planet, we have to say. So that's a great model maybe for other countries to look at, to grow it out as well but be good for prize money i'm sure increasing as well as part of that with the 
additional money coming into the sport. Yeah, and they had uh, Daddy Yankee. I don't know if you guys know Daddy Yankee, but uh, he's got 50 million followers on <laughs> on Instagram, and he's a very, very famous musician, and so really been getting into his music uh, during the event. He's going to be the Orlando team owner next year. Really exciting, isn't it? They don't do things by halves in the States, and, and it's interesting, Matt, you touched on this, the model that they're using is build a competition and the clubs will come. You know, in Australia, it's kind of get enough clubs and we can have a competition. It's almost they've gone the other way around, haven't they? Have you witnessed that rapid growth even in your time over there? It certainly seems like this is a hell of a promotional tool for paddle. There's been a lot of interest. People have been watching online. Yeah, everybody's excited about this and excited to see where it's going to go next year. What they've done so well is they brought in celebrities and things. So on the opening day, we had Juan Martin Del Potro. Uh, playing in an exhibition match against Tommy Haas. Uh, I had a good chat with Tommy Haas. He was super nice, a really super nice guy. So, and just a very brief chat with Del Potro. So these guys are all out there playing, supporting. They enjoy it and they're also financially supporting it. So in my experience, it, this really, really helps to the promotion of the sport. Well, what an incredible thing to be a part of, Tim. Congratulations. And obviously it's um, only the tip of the iceberg for you now. We did mention at the start of the interview that you had some big news. What is it? Big news? I'm back. So I, I, in two days ago, I flew uh, from Miami to uh, Houston, Houston to Honolulu and had a had a one, one night in Honolulu in a hostel room, a 10-bed hostel room with uh, nine Irish girls were in my room and me. Oh. <laughs> this is a G-rated uh, podcast, Tim. Is this oh, one of those moments well, weirded out later? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, it was it was G-rated. We had a G-rated night. I, I didn't get a, a wink of sleep because uh, they wanted to go out and do karaoke, and my my the bus was picking me up at five a.m. to go to the airport. So uh, that suited me, and I slept all the way on the plane. and And here I am. I'm back in Sydney for the month of July. There's a chance that I might head to Osaka to play the FIP with um, Andreas. There's a lot of paddle players right now that want me to backpedal a bit. You just mentioned the year for the month of July. Does that mean that you're going to be playing in the uh, Oz Paddle Tour at KDV? There's a good chance. Yeah, I think I, I might I might come and play the Gold Coast tournament. Look out! There's the big scoop. Game on. Have you got yourself a partner? I think I'll play with like Andreas. Tim, I just before you answer that question, I know you already have. I put an RFI out. A couple of days ago, applications are open to become my partner. So let me know if your fax machine works and if you wouldn't mind sending me a fax back and um, I'll assess you as a potential partner for my good self. <laughs> Thanks, Matty. Uh, but I think me and Andrea uh, are locked in for that one already. That's a good segue into the next question I, I had for you. In your absence of being the number one player here and the stats have just come out, the ranks have just come out again, and you're still number one. So the ghost of Tim Brown continues, even with Tim Brown not here, as number one, because you brought up so many points in the background. For the upcoming tournaments, which you may miss going back out to Osaka, Japan, and Bertie told me you might be in Europe as well later in the year, who do you think rises to the top in your absence in regards to the Aussie players when you're not here? I know it's a politically incorrect question, but I thought I'll ask you anyway. Uh, there's a lot of really strong players uh, that are all playing a really high level and uh, and they're all very similar in level. So uh, it's very hard to predict with, when a tournament starts nowadays uh, who's going to end up as the champions. So watching the indoor tournament, I tuned in live um, to watch some of the matches, well, the final. And congrats to Dominic Burchard and Sam Ashenden for winning 
uh, that final. I think it was three sets, went the distance. Uh, against uh, my good old partner, Yarek Joswiak. Pedro, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, is Cuerdo. <laughs> That's a tricky one. So they did well together as a first-time partnership to make it all the way to the finals. I know Ross Taylor and Giovanni Nucci, um, I think they were uh, a good chance. I thought they were a good chance as well um, in that tournament. Um, I did predict at the start that um, David Colgross and Mikel Blanco would be potential homewreckers. I think they, they ended up being uh, in a great match Yeah, in the quarterfinals. They won in a super tiebreaker. So yeah, anything can happen in these tournaments. And as we saw, who's, who's going to take the reins? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to be there at Gold Coast to hopefully um, cause a bit of trouble. But uh, I, I think uh, for the other players in Australia, there's there's uh, there's obviously uh, Don Bouchard and Sam Ashenden. Um, there's the, the players that we've spoken about, Ross Taylor and Giovanni Nucci, and whoever decides to enter the tournaments. Uh, you, you, you know, I always say that we've got the Nick Curios of, uh, of paddle in Australia in uh, Taylor Smith. I think uh, when Taylor when Taylor's on, he can be a really dangerous player as well. I have to mention uh, Oliver White is back as well. He plays with Justin Thomas sometimes. They're a dangerous pair. Um, me and Andrea uh, played them in the semifinals of the Sydney tournament, and um, that was a that was a tough match, tougher than it looked on the scoreboard. Um, so there's danger all over the place. There's probably one more player we haven't talked about who I put up there as the. Nick Kyrgios part two. I mean, Taylor Smith's racket smashing ratio is probably up there with Kyrgios, I'd imagine. He's pretty high up on the list and he can, he's got the world record for hurling a racket. I think it went about 180 metres at KDV last, <laughs> last tournament. <laughs> it was a good one. There's one more player that you had a great match with in uh, overseas, actually, who's been taking the paddles world by storm and also pickleball by storm. Tell us a bit about that. Vuk Velikovic uh, was over in the US. And he's, he's a great paddle player. I think he needs to decide whether he wants to go with paddle or pickleball. Uh, he's, he's flirting with both at the moment. But um, yeah, he flew over to San Diego to meet me in San Diego. That was the first stop in the US for me. Uh, we played a tournament there at their paddle club. In, they've only got one in San Diego at the moment called Tactica Paddle. We had a great tournament over there. We got the toughest draw in history. So I, I honestly think we were in the top four pairs um, in that tournament. There was another random pair from Argentina that came. Uh, they're ranked in the top 100 in Argentina. And Vuk, uh, Vuk and I matched them in the first round of the tournament. So we were, we were expecting an easy first round, and we got these two Argentinian guns. We, we did really well to win that match. We just won it with pure energy bluffing our way through. You know how, how vocal Vuk can be. We were struggling to hold serve the whole first half of the first set, and they were holding serve really easily. And then they had one game where they were a little bit shaky on serve, and there was so much energy coming from Vuk and I that uh, they just got a little bit nervous that, oh, geez, maybe these guys can break our serve. We broke their serve, and we broke their backs from there. We sort of cruised from there onwards. But those guys were really, really lovely Argentinian guys. Um, they, they took it really well. They, they were really friendly afterwards. And they said that all the vote, us being so vocal was just part of the game. And they were, um, they were totally supportive and friendly. They went on to win the consolation draw easily, uh, as expected. Uh, and then the second round, we played the guys who won the tournament, um, who, which is Peter Alonso, who is an ex-world number 
eight, I think, from from only three years ago. He played with Jacobo Blanco, uh, and he's also an ex-World Paddle Tour player. So a very, very tough ask. That match is all recorded. You can watch it online somewhere through Tactica Paddle. Yeah, we, we we did well. We pushed them in the in the second set. They got us pretty comfortably in the end. I think playing pickleball, Vuk really felt when there was a really high quality from the shot from them to the walls. That's where we came unstuck a little bit. But other than that, Vuk played superb. Yeah, we had a we had a good tournament. That was a good tournament, regardless of the loss. Obviously, the level of play that you've been able to both sort of witness in play and also even just watching on the sidelines just must be invaluable for you. What a great success story to have our number one player heading overseas and, and you know, obviously you're back now to compete in the Gold Coast and, and then Japan and it seems like the world's your oyster. We're just uh, really enjoying watching you, you play and succeed and we hope, uh, you know, your continued success comes. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, Tim. It's been great having you on the show. And we look forward to seeing you up on the Gold Coast. Yeah, thanks, Matty. Thanks thanks to both of the Matties. Great to be here. After Australia, we'll be Madrid. That, that, that'll be the next part of the, the trip um, to go to Europe, which I'm looking forward to. It'll be great to catch up with you guys in this month before then. Okay, folks, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Next month, we've got Tennis Australia's Callum Beal coming on the show. He's going to talk about all things paddle from TA's perspective and hopefully give us some insights about what uh, their future plans for Paddle look like. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month, Matty. Thanks, Matt. Look forward to seeing you in the Goldie for some nice weather and the Aussie Paddle Tour event. Speak soon. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.